Well, good morning. It's good to see you here today. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had your picture taken in one of those tiny little photo booths that they used to have in the mall? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, one or two or three of you cram in that booth and you pull the cover and there's, there's a little uh, lens there and you smile and make faces and, and click, 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 click. And then you get outside the booth and, and you wait on that roll of uh, photos that come out of the machine. Somebody told me after the first service, said, you know what, that's the only pictures we have of our honeymoon. <laughs> so we didn't, have, we didn't have camera back then. They've been married a while. They said... We didn't have a camera back then. That's the only pictures we have of our honeymoon. Uh, we understand those are not high-quality photos, right? These are just snapshots of who you are. That's really kind of the way I feel about this sermon series on the, name of, the names of God. I mean, how do you capture who God really is using mere human language? Anything that I share with you today and anything I share with you throughout this series is it's just a snapshot of who God really is. Our finite minds cannot fully comprehend the infinite God. The best we might do is just to have a snapshot of His glory. But the things we do understand about the Lord are the things that He has revealed to us in the Bible. And so here's what I want you to do today. I want you to open your Bible to the very first book of the Bible and let's look at another snapshot of God. Genesis chapter 2 is where we'll start in just a moment. Last week, we explored the very first name of God revealed to us in Scripture, the name Elohim. And that name, Elohim, is all through the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 2, verse 3, that's the only name you see of God. It is that snapshot of Elohim. And we told you last week that Elohim means the all-powerful Creator, the mighty God, the powerful Creator. And the very first sentence of the Bible begins this way, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's the name, the only name, that's used in all of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 through verse 3. The Bible is clear that evolution did not bring this world into existence. Elohim did. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then when we come to chapter 2, verse 4, we're introduced to another name for God. Just look at the text with me. Chapter 2, verse 4. Here's what it says. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the, heaven, the earth and the heavens. Notice here that for the first time in Scripture, it's not just Elohim, it's not just God. But for the first time in Scripture, another name is given to us, the Lord God. The word Lord is the word Jehovah. So if you were reading this in your Hebrew Bible, it would say, when Jehovah Elohim made the earth and the heavens. Two names of God are put together there, Lord God or Jehovah Elohim. Now I will tell you this, that that name Jehovah that you see in your Bibles, in the English translation, it's L-O-R-D in all capital letters. That's the name Jehovah. And you will see that name 6,823 times in the Old Testament. It is the most famous name for God in the Old Testament. And it is very significant where this name surfaces or where this name appears in Scripture. 
let me rehearse for you again in Genesis chapter 1. That's the general account of creation. And in the general account of creation, it records the powerful work of Elohim, the the mighty, powerful God. That's Genesis chapter 1. But in Genesis chapter 2, something changes. In fact, if you just look at your text right now, over verse 4, in a lot of your Bibles, there's probably a heading over verse 4. In my Bible, it says Adam and Eve. Do you have that in your Bible? That kind of a heading? All right. So something is about to change in the text. Here is a little bit of a clue that something is changing. Uh, This verse, beginning in verse 4, begins the special account, not just of creation, but the creation of man and woman and God's special relationship with His creation. In fact, the wording changes in verse 4. I want you to look how it's listed in verse 4. This is the account. Notice the order here. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Then look at the very next sentence. When the Lord God, Elohim, or Yahweh Elohim, made the earth and the heavens. In the same verse, it talks about the creation of the heavens and the earth. Then it talks about the earth and the heavens. Why? Why? Because... The focus seems to turn from this verse on. The focus seems to turn to those who, who are living on the earth and God's interaction with them. So in chapter 2 verse 4, it's not just Elohim, the powerful creator God, but in chapter 2 verse 4, we're introduced to Jehovah who is powerfully and personally interacting with the world He has created. He is interacting with creation on a whole new level, beginning in chapter 2, verse 4. He becomes personally involved in the well-being of those He has created and the world that they live in. Let me show you this in the text. Verse 7 and 8, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. The Lord, Jehovah, God, Jehovah Elohim, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Here is God, the Elohim that created the heavens and the earth. Now he is personally involved in his creation. Verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. This is how personally involved he is in his creation. He's planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Uh, Skip on down to verse 21 and 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. Here is the creator God Not just creating the heavens and the earth, but he is intimately involved in his creation. And his name is Jehovah. And today I simply want to ask and answer the same two questions that we had last week. What does the name mean? And what does it mean for us? So we're going to look at the name Jehovah and ask those two questions. First of all, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does Jehovah mean? But before we get into that, let me remind you something that Jesus used to say in the Gospels. You'll see it at least three or four times in the Gospel. Jesus used to say something that was kind of interesting. He would say, He who has ears, let him hear. He said that several times. He who has ears, let him hear. 
Put your hand up on the side of your head. I bet you'll find some ears. Jesus was saying, this is for everybody. What I'm about to tell you is very important. So he who has ears, let him hear. This is for everybody. This is important. You need to understand this. Pay attention. Listen closely. And so let me just give you that little phrase before we dive into Jehovah. He who has ears, let him hear. This is for everybody. So listen closely. Most Bible scholars would agree that Jehovah, the name Jehovah, is God's proper name. There are other names for God in the Bible, certainly. That's what this whole series is about. Other names for God, certainly, but those names are more descriptions of who He is. They are His names, yes, but they're more descriptive names. But Jehovah is God's personal name. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Sometimes when I meet new people, especially if it's in a church setting, the context of a church setting, sometimes people will say to me, well, what do you want me to call you? Or what should we call you? And my response typically is, well, my mama called me Keith. And that worked really well until somebody looked at me and said, but I ain't your mama. But, you know, in in this kind of setting, when people are saying, what what do you want us to call you? Uh, you know, I, I get called all kinds of things, and that's fine. I don't care what you call me. I really don't. Some people call me Dr. Shorter. Some people call me Preacher Keith. Some people call me Pastor Shorter, Preacher Keith. Uh, but those are my names. I answer to those names. Those are my names. But those are descriptive names. Pastor Shorter, Preacher Keith, those are descriptive names. But my personal name is Keith. There are many names for God in the Bible. Most of those are descriptive names. But His personal name is Jehovah. Or as it's written in the Hebrew, Yahweh. We use the English term Jehovah, but the name that was in the original Hebrew text was Yahweh. It was written 6,823 times. Let me give you that. That's the second time I've given you that number because I want you to understand most of the time when you're reading through the Old Testament, the name you will come across most of the time is the name Jehovah. And the way that you can recognize it in your English Bibles as you're reading the English text, the way that you recognize it is that it is Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capital letters. Whenever you see that name, Lord, all in capital letters, you know that is the Hebrew name, Yahweh, or as we would say, Jehovah. Let me show you this in in the text. Look on, on the screen. There's a couple of verses here. Sing to God or to Elohim. Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Extol Him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord. His name is Yahweh, or Jehovah. Isaiah 42.8, God is speaking directly in Isaiah 42.8, and God says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. That is my name. That is His personal name. But what does it mean? That's the question we're trying to answer today. What does it mean? Well, in the Hebrew, the word comes from the verb to be, to be, or To live. The name implies God's self-existence. 
that He is both self-existent and self-sufficient. Now just get that in your mind that Jehovah is self-existent, not dependent upon anything or anyone, and self-sufficient. Maybe this will help you. Sometimes I bet if you've had little kids in your family, somewhere along the way, they likely ask you, Daddy or Mommy, who created God? Big, big, really, seriously, a big theological question. Who created God? They're thinking in terms of the scientific approach of cause and effect. That everything in this world has a cause, has a first cause, if you will. This, this uh, pew so it had a cause. Somebody was behind it that created it. And this pulpit, there, there, was a, there was a cause behind it. There was something behind it that, that caused it to come about. Everything that exists had a prior cause. Including you, by the way. You would not be here were it not for your two parents. And last time I took a survey, every person has two parents. You may not know both of your parents, but you, both, but you had a father and a mother. Would you agree with that? Everything had a prior cause. Watch this. Except God. God is, not self, God is self-existent and self-sufficient. He does not depend on anybody or anything. And that is the name behind Jehovah. Or that is the meaning behind the name Jehovah. That nothing outside of Him contributes to His existence. God is the uncaused cause. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. That's why life is found in Him. Because He doesn't depend on anything or anyone. Now, I know that's kind of philosophical in in some ways, so let me show you this in Scripture. Let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Because the one place in the book of Exodus where you see this so clearly, the one place that is critical to helping us understand this name, Jehovah, is in Exodus 3. The children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. They've been crying out to Elohim, to God, to deliver them from slavery and their bondage. And God confronts a man named Moses from a burning bush, you know the story likely, to call him to lead his people out of Egypt. So let's just read the story and I'll stop along the way and make some comments and show you the importance of this name. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. This is Exodus 3, 1. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, or the mountain of Elohim. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight and why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, I want you to notice that in the very next verse, how God refers to himself in verse 6. He refers to himself as what he did in the past. Look in chapter 3, verse 6. Here's what he says. Then he said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And now pause there for a moment. He says, I am the Elohim of your father and your forefathers. 
I am the Elohim of Abraham. I am the Elohim of Isaac. I am the Elohim of Jacob. I am the God of the past. But watch what happens. Then the Lord said, the same powerful God who acted powerfully for the patriarchs, who did tremendous things for the patriarchs, was now going to speak, watch this, in the present tense. He's not just the God of the past. Now he's going to speak in the present tense. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out. Present tense. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned. Present tense. About their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And he goes on to describe it. And then he says, oh, by the way, I want you to go lead them out. Shortest translation. Which brings Moses to a crisis of faith. Verses 11 and 12. Moses said to God, Moses said to Elohim, this great, mighty, powerful God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign, that, that, uh, this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. And he talks about that. And then Moses asked a question. Probably one of the greatest questions, most strategic questions, most important questions anyone asks in, in the Old Testament. And the question is this in verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites. Look up on the screen. Suppose I go to the... I'm not saying I'm going. But let's just suppose. You know, I'm not saying I'm not going. But let's just suppose that, that let's just suppose that I go to the Israelites. Go ahead. And and I say to them, the God of your fathers, the Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what will I say to them? Uh, let's just suppose. Let's just think about it. If I go back over there and I and I talk to them and I tell them that that the God of their forefathers sent me to you. And they have thought about this and they say, well, what is his name? What, what am I supposed to sell? What, what am I supposed to tell them? In other words, it appears, listen, listen, listen. It appears that at this point, Moses does not know the name of Yahweh. He just knows the God of the past, Elohim. So he says, if I am to go and I am to speak to them and they ask me that question, I don't want to be embarrassed. You know how embarrassing it would be to say, I don't know his name. So if I go and they say, well, who is he? What's his name? God answers the question in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. You, you want to know his name? Here's his name. I am who I am. Or if you want to shorten it, I am has sent me to you. A professor at Southwestern Seminary, my alma mater, once said that you can translate the name of God this way. I am who I have always been. I haven't changed. Yes, I'm the Elohim of the past, the God of your forefathers. But I am who I have always been. I like, I like that translation because 
The same God who worked in the lives of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The same God who met their needs and led them. It's the same God who would now meet the needs of the people in Egypt and would lead them. I am who I, who I have always been. And then God took it even a step further in verse 15. God also said to Moses, there's something else I want you to tell them. Shorter translation. There's something else I want you to tell them. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites... The Lord, if you're reading that in the Hebrew Bible, it would say Jehovah or Yahweh. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And watch this. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation this is my name forever Jehovah this is my name this is the name I want to be remembered by forever and forever from generation to generation and the question is why why is it so important that we know him as Jehovah I think it's because of what that name means and what that name represents. You see, if Elohim is God's powerful name, Genesis 1, if Elohim is God's powerful name, Jehovah is God's personal name. The name means that God is present and He is accessible and He is relational. The name means that God is involved in our world and God is involved in our lives. He's not just Elohim, the God who created everything, but He is Jehovah, the God who is involved in His creation. I love that. He's not just that mighty, powerful God who created everything in Genesis 1, but He's the personal, intimate God who wants to be involved in our lives. And that's the meaning of Jehovah. Jehovah is interacting with His creation on a whole new level. Jehovah. I am that I am. To be, I'm always the same. And I want to be involved in your life. If I could say it to you this way, to bring it even to more biblical focus, and and you might want to write this down, Jehovah is His covenant name. If you're taking notes, Jehovah is His covenant name. We'll talk about more about this tonight. I hope you'll come back tonight because what we're going to do tonight is dig deeper into this name Jehovah. There's so much that that I need to share with you. I couldn't squeeze it all in to the morning, so we'll, we'll continue tonight. But there are five major covenants in the Old Testament. A covenant that God made with with Noah. A covenant that God made with Abraham. A covenant that God made with Moses. A covenant that God made with David. And a covenant that Jeremiah the prophet said would be a new covenant that Jesus would one day fulfill. And every time that covenant was made, whenever God made the covenant, for, for example, with Noah, it was always Jehovah who was speaking. Whenever God made a covenant with Moses, with David, it was always Jehovah making the covenant. You see, Jehovah is His covenant name. His personal name. So that's what the name means. He's 
covenant-making, personal, intimate God. That brings us to another question that I want to ask and answer today, and that is, what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us? We understand kind of what Jehovah means, and we'll talk about it more tonight in detail, but what does it mean for us? Two things. First of all, God desires for us to know Him in a personal way. God desires for you to know Him in a personal way. And in fact, I want to show you how personal God wants to be in your life. I want you to go to what is perhaps the most famous psalm in the the book of Psalms. Which one would you guess that is? Psalm 23. Now you know that psalm. You probably have memorized it. But I want you to read it with me. I want you to follow it. Look at it. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I want you to see in Psalm 23 that this is not just a beautiful psalm, but it is also a psalm where we understand how intimate God wants to be in our lives. How intimate of a relationship God wants to have with you and me. It says in the verse 1, the Lord. Do you see how it's spelled? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that signify, class? Jehovah. Yahweh. Jehovah is my shepherd. This is how intimate he is. This is how personal he is. The one who was Elohim, who created the heavens and the earth, his name is Jehovah. And David said, and he's the one who is my personal shepherd. Jehovah is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. I mean, doesn't that make sense now? Listen, if the God who created heavens and the earth is now your Jehovah, the one who is now personally involved in your life, doesn't it make sense? I've got everything I need because He's going to supply whatever I need. Jehovah is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And look how intimate and how personal this God is. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Watch this. For His name's sake. Jehovah. That's how intimate, that's how personal He wants to be in your life. And we can continue to read. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you, Jehovah, are with me and your rod and your staff. They comfort me. That's how special, how intimate, how personal He wants to be. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I love this. And I will dwell in the house of Jehovah. Forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If your understanding of God is that He's just the God back there, or maybe the God of the Bible, if you don't understand that Jehovah is always present and always accessible and He's available for you to call on Him, then you don't understand who Jehovah is. God desires for you to know Him in a personal way. God desires to reveal Himself to you in a personal way. 
God desires to have an intimate, personal relationship with you to such a degree that David said, He's my shepherd. He's the one that watches out over my life. Which brings me to the second point. What does it mean for us? Number two, it means that God is a present tense God. We don't have the time to go back to Genesis, but remember? Or, or I'm sorry, in Exodus, remember where God said, listen, I am the God of your fathers, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I, I am that God, I'm, but I'm also Jehovah. I'm not just a past tense God. I'm also Jehovah. I'm not just the God contained in the past. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not just the God of of the Bible, if you will. But I am Jehovah. I am present tense with you. He is a present tense God. That's what it means. If your God is only a God of history, then you do not understand Jehovah. I know that we're all good Baptists and probably most of you, maybe all of you, would have no problem affirming the historical accuracy of the Bible. You would have no problem affirming that yes, God opened and parted the waters of the Red Sea. Yes, I believe it. Yes, I believe that God did miracles. Yes, I believe that Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. You would have no problem saying that. You would have no problem Admitting that. You would never question that. I believe it. God did it. God said it. I believe it. But if I were to ask you, do you believe that God can work in your life today? Do you believe that God can heal your marriage? Do you believe that God can forgive your sins? Do you believe that God can work in our church and transform our community? You probably, for some of you, you want to say yes, but quite honestly, you're not sure. You know He's the God of the past. You believe what He did back then. But He is also a present tense God. If your God is merely a God of history, you need to understand He wants to also be a God who is present tense in your life. You see, when you live in a personal relationship with the Creator of the world, you can discover that this Creator of the world, this God who created everything back then, this past tense God, if you will, the Creator of the world, is also a present tense God today. That's Jehovah. In fact, I want you to go to one final Scripture. I want you to go over to the book of Proverbs. You're in Psalms probably. Go over to Proverbs. I want you to go to chapter 3. And we're going to read my favorite scripture in all the Bible. My life verses. I could quote them for you, but I want you to read them with me. Because I want you to see this present tense God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in, what's that next word, church? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Trust in Jehovah. That's His name. Trust in the Lord. Trust in Jehovah with all your heart. 
and lean not on your understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight because He is a present tense God. So whatever you're facing, whatever you're struggling with, whatever your needs are, you can trust in Jehovah. You can trust in the Lord with all of your heart because He's not just a past tense God. He is a present tense God. So you can trust in the Lord with all of your heart today. Just like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob trusted in Him with all of their heart back then, you can trust in God today. So trust in this Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. But in all of your ways acknowledge Him because He is a present tense God. And in all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. You see, knowing Jehovah is not a past tense experience. It is a present tense journey. Present tense journey. To know God. So I've got two questions for you. The first question is this. Do you know God personally? That is a huge question. I'm not asking how much do you know about Him. I'm asking do you know God personally? The powerful Elohim, the powerful God of all creation. You can know as Jehovah. You can know Him personally. He wants to be intimately, personally involved in your life. Do you know God personally? I'm not asking if your wife knows Him. I'm not asking if your husband knows Him. I'm not asking if your, if your mom or dad know Him. I'm asking, do you know Him personally? I'm not asking, are you a religious man or woman? I'm asking, do you know Him personally? He is a present tense God who wants to know you personally. Who wants to be intimately involved in your life. And if you've never... Let me tell you how personally he wants to know you, how much he wants to know you personally, is that he allowed his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on a cross for your sins so that the thing that kept you from this God, your sin, can be forgiven and removed so you can have a relationship, a personal relationship with this God. You don't have to go through life just trying to make it on your own. You can know God personally. And Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of every stain of sin in your life. Every stain of sin in your past. And it can be forgiven and forgotten and removed so that you stand before God forgiven. You stand before God righteous. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ and your faith in what Christ did on the cross, you can know God personally. That's the gospel. There's a second question I want to ask some of you. Is your relationship with God a past tense experience? For some of you, you would say, well, I know that I know Him personally. I have confidence about that, but your relationship with God is a past tense experience. 
something you did when you were 10, or yeah, I prayed that prayer when I was a teenager, or I prayed that prayer one time in Bible school, or, and it's just a past tense experience. Let me show you how much God wants to have a relationship with you in the present tense. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you because it's kind of hard to find. It's in the book of Joel, and it's in chapter 2, and it's verse 12. Just listen to it. God speaks in chapter 2, Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Even now, declares Jehovah. Even now, declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart. Even now. Even after all your bad decisions, return to me with all your heart. Even now. Even after you're, you're convinced that he, you can't be forgiven. Even now. Even though you've wasted lots of years. Even now, says Jehovah, return to me with all your heart. Even now, after you did what you thought you'd never do. Even now, after that affair. Even now, after that addiction. Even now, declares Jehovah. Return to me. With all your heart. That's how personal, how intimate, God wants to be in your life. And that's what Jehovah means. He is the God who is intimately involved in the lives of the people He created. So even now, even today, return to Him with all your heart. Let me pray with you. Thank you for the hope, Father, that is found in you. The hope that is found in the Gospel. The hope that is found in your Word. The the clarity that is found as we understand who you really are. Though we cannot fully comprehend it, we are grateful that you want to know us personally. And you've made a way for that through Jesus Christ. And, and even in those times when sin has scarred us and has brought us into bondage, even now you want us back and we can come to you with all of our heart. So today may your name be honored and glorified as we respond in obedience to this God who has His arms wide open. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.